Let me ask you a question this morning, though, as we begin. What would you consider to be the most powerful word in all the English language? You ever thought about that before? You know, some people might say love. That would be a good one. Some people might say sacrifice. Some folks might say family. But I want to advocate this morning, quite possibly the most powerful word in the English language is dad, father, daddy. You ever thought about that? You ever really thought about that, how powerful that word is? You know, to a young child just learning to speak and learning to walk and beginning school, you know, they probably don't have that comprehension of love and sacrifice and family and all these things, but they do know the word dad if he's there. The power of fathering is incredible. You know, there's two ways that you and I can recognize this power of being a father. One of those ways is to see that power at work. But also, unfortunately, in our society today, is also to see the absence of that power. The power that's present in a child's life and the father is not there. You know, I had the privilege for teaching some 15 years over here at Pamunkey Regional Jail. And inmate after inmate would share with me their stories, their personal stories. I remember one specifically, a, a fellow was in there, we were talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he said, I've never heard this before. You know, I'm sitting there thinking how sad in America that this man that was probably close to 30 years old had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ presented before, never heard the story of his birth, never heard the story of his death and resurrection. And I was sad, and so he, he just wanted to share why not. And before he started sharing his story, he turned around and showed me a, an indentation, kind of a small scar on the back of his head where he'd been shot in the back of the head before, but he survived. And he wasn't really sure why he's still here because he should have been dead. The doctors even told him he probably wasn't going to live because of the damage, but he was living. But he was incarcerated at this point. But he shared the story that he never knew his father. Didn't really know his mom. He'd seen her a couple times, but he was raised by his grandmother. Nobody in his life had ever shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. But also he said that he, he grew up in a neighborhood of just absolute garbage. He was covered with garbage his whole life. Never saw anything but the ugly side of the world. Shared some of those things there. But he was so excited now that he was hearing this story for the very first time and realized that he'd heard about the Bible, but he never knew what it was about. It's amazing here today that we have a lot of problems in this country, a phenomenal amount of problems. We have drug problems. We have suicide problems. We have alcoholic problems. We have teen pregnancy problems. We have violence. We have gangs. We have mental and emotional issues. We have all these problems. You know, a lot of times we kind of focus on those problems. We're really focusing on the symptoms of something else. Truth is, there's a source to this problem, and it's a huge source. What the source is, it's the absence of the Father. The absence of the Father is an incredible illness in our nation today. Think about this for just a second, just a couple of statistics. Consequences of no Father. 85% of all youth that are incarcerated today have no Father. 71% of high school dropouts have no Father. 71% of teenage pregnancies have no father in their life. 63%, and this is very sad, youth suicides have no father in their life. 80% of rapists come from fatherless homes. You know, today in America, if fatherlessness was a disease, we'd have an epidemic, and we really, truly do. More than 24 million children today live in a home where their biological father is not there. You know, you take this another step. There's millions more of homes where the father is present physically, but he's, he's absent emotionally and spiritually. He's not there. He's not investing in his family the way God intended to be. I believe personally that this nation, if we do not step up, 
and lose more fathers, our nation is not going to survive. The greatest problem in our nation, and nobody seems to want to talk about it except a few churches, is the fact that fathers aren't walking where God would have them to walk. Fathers aren't doing that. I'm thankful that I'm surrounded by a bunch of fathers that are doing that. But you know as well as I do that you rub shoulders every day with fathers that aren't there. Fathers that aren't doing their jobs. Fathers that aren't doing the things that they should be doing according to God's plan. It's sad. I just saw something about GQ magazine. came out and disclaimed the Bible. said it's not really that important to follow the Bible. It's kind of myth. It's fables. Well, who cares about GQ magazine? But isn't that amazing that our culture continues to say that this, this Bible, this Word of God, has no relevance in today's society? How sad that they can't see the sickness and all the things that are amiss in this nation because we don't want to think about the Bible and God in our society. We don't want to talk about them. We don't want them present in our society today. It's so sad that you and I live in a nation right now that God is not first and foremost on the hearts and minds of our people. I'm thankful that there is a remnant here. Do you know what else I think is beautiful here in God's holy word? We've talked about the book of Genesis. We're studying it right now. We understand that this is the foundation And in God's infinite wisdom and his providence, he put a story about two different men that raised their families in two different ways. We're going to look at those lives today. One life is the life of Cain, and we understand who he is, and the other one is the life of Seth. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to look at two verses here. But I'd like to ask you, as you turn your Bible, keep your finger there, because I want to kind of walk through the nuggets that God gives us here in his holy word about families and about raising children. Genesis 4, verse 25, if you found your way there, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. Genesis 4, verse 25, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth, for God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word today. Father, I pray today that all of us, Father, would see the things you'd have us to see. Father, that we'd understand, Father, your plan for our families, Father. And I thank you, Lord, that there's godly men in this room right now that are leading their families for your glory. Father, we do all pray for our children, Father, that they'd always walk as well. And Father, today I pray right now that we'd all understand, Lord, that we have an incredible opportunity to plant a legacy, Father, that can last a hundred years, Father, or more. As we raise our children, Father, and then impact our grandchildren, Father, as we come to know them. Father, we thank you now once again for all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. May be seated. You know, it's interesting. What's the most boring part of the Bible as we read through this Bible? I I know many of you are going through that uh, one-year Bible right now, but what's the most boring part of that Bible to read? Absolutely. Leviticus. Yeah, there's one. How about the genealogies? They're just tough, aren't they? I tell you what, the challenge isn't even if your pastor was to read those chapters out loud, you know, getting those Hebrew names right. And uh, somebody told me a long time ago, as long as you're saying with confidence, nobody's going to know the difference. But I'm here to tell you there is a right way to say those Hebrew names. But, you know, a lot of times we just kind of want to kind of brush through those and miss them. But I want you to know this morning that there is an incredible part of the genealogies. Nothing is in God's Word by accident. Every single thing that God has written in His Holy Word has got a purpose. Imagine for just a moment this morning, if you were to receive in the mail tomorrow morning a genealogy of your family that somebody did for the last 1,500 years. I imagine you want to sit down and read that. Hey, who am I related to? King George or King, King Paul or whoever it might be. Read back those 1,500 years and see who's in your family. It's very, very interesting. You know, you say, well, Pastor, that's one thing to read my genealogy, but it's boring to read somebody else's. I can't disagree with that totally. 
But I want you to know that there are incredible secrets of significant meaning in God's genealogy. Think for just a moment. Remember First Chronicles? The first, chap- first ten chapters are nothing but genealogy. Chapter after chapter after chapter. Hey, Adam's genealogy, and then, then the 12 tribes of Israel genealogy, and then King David's genealogy, and then back to the 12 tribes of genealogy. For ten straight chapters, nothing but Hebrew name after Hebrew name after Hebrew name. Well, buried right there in First Chronicles 4.10, remember what's there? The prayer of Jabez, remember that? I mean, that came out, uh, David Wilkinson built, bought it, wrote a book about it, probably made millions of dollars, but kind of put that on the horizon. But it's a beautiful prayer. Jabez prayed to the Lord God of Israel, it says. He said he prayed for blessings. He prayed to enlarge his territory. He prayed that God would keep his hand upon him. But he also prayed that God would keep him away from evil. Remember that? And then what it said, God granted his prayer. A beautiful, powerful, impactful prayer right in the middle of name after name of geology. God plants these beautiful secrets and these beautiful little treasures in the midst of his genealogies. And it takes time to really look a little deeper sometimes. I'm guilty of it as well. Kind of breeze through those sometimes until I'm actually looking for something. So there needs to be some intentionality in yours and my heart as we read God's Word, especially in genealogies. God, what little nugget and treasure do you have hidden here in the midst of all these hard Hebrew names to read? The scripture we read today, we're going to see some incredible treasures planted here. And I want you to follow along. Keep your Bibles open if you will, because we're going to look at some of these. We're not going to read genealogy after genealogy. You know how that genealogy goes, so-and-so begets so-and-so begets so-and-so begets so-and-so. You know, the essence here of what we're reading about is one man has a son. That son grows up, he becomes a man. What does he do? has a son. That son grows up, and that man has another son. So it's just a lineage here, and we're going to look at some of these lineages here. But I want to pull out, just for the sake of time this morning, I want to pull out some of these nuggets that you may have missed. The story that we're reading today is powerful. It gives us God's picture all the way back from the beginning about how you can raise a family for His glory, but also how you can miss that. How easy to miss that because we go our own way. God gave us self-will. God gives us a choice. We have two choices in this world. We can either walk God's way or we can walk my own way. I did it my way. Remember old Frank Sinatra? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. The story we're looking at today is a story of Cain and also a story of Seth. One man anchored his family in God. The other one missed it. Remember two weeks ago we talked about Cain killed his brother. Remember Cain had an attitude he's going to do it his way. He had a very bitter, resentful attitude towards his brother. He also had a bitter attitude towards God. Didn't want to do it God's way. So God cursed him and God exiled him, sent him away. So Cain is already cursed. We pick up the story of Cain in Genesis 4, verse 17. If you have your Bible still open, look at this. Genesis 4, verse 17. It said, Then Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after his son, Enoch. Well, a lot of times when you're studying Genesis, your first question might be, well, where did Cain get his wife? You know, Cain was a son of Adam and Eve. Remember two weeks ago when we talked about Abel and Cain and Abel? We realized that they were probably about 100 years old when that story took place. In 100 years, Adam and Eve had more children. Cain married one of those children. That's where his wife came from. Question answered. You know, we see in Genesis 18 that the genealogy of Cain continues to march down the road. So-and-so begets so-and-so begets so-and-so. And finally, seven, five, sorry, five generations later, we see, en- uh, we see Elimech born. He's the great, great, great grandson of Cain, Lamech. Look at verse 
419 for a second. This is describing Lamech, who is five generations removed from Cain. It says that Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the second one was named Zillah. You know, I want you to think about this. God said in, in uh, Genesis 2.42, 2.24, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and he shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one. God didn't say three shall become one. He says two shall become. Right here is the first deviation we see from God's holy word. Lamech is just like his father Cain, doing it his way. I'm going to do it my way because I want to do it this way. My will instead of God's will. That's not the only thing that he did wrong. There's something about Lamech in verse Genesis, or Genesis verse 4 and verse 23. It says, Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy times sevenfold. Lamech here murdered somebody. Not only that, but what was he doing? He was bragging to his wives about that. Hey, I killed this guy for even bothering me. And then he goes a step further. Remember that God said that he was going to punish anybody that hurt Cain when he exiled them out of the garden there? He said, I'm going to avenge them sevenfold. Well, Lamech saying, hey, if God would do that for Cain, what would he do for me? He'd do it seven times, seventy times. He's bragging on God, how important he is to God. He had an attitude of brutality, an unforgiving attitude. He had a violent manner about him. He was a man that was not walking close to God. Lamech, and I want you to hear this, it really all came back from Cain going to the generations because we're going to see something different here with Seth. Seth and his, um, his offspring, his great-great-great-grandson Enoch. We're going to see the contrast here. Look at this with me, if you will, for a minute. Looking at Seth. Genesis 4.26. It says, As for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then, this is huge, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is Seth's first child, Enosh. And it says right here that with the birth of Enosh, men began calling upon the Lord. Where did that come from? That came from Seth. Seth realized that I want to raise my son in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I want my son to understand who God is. I want my son to worship God. I want my son to walk with God. And this is huge. And these are some of the, some of the things we miss sometimes in the genealogies that we read them. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord, verse 26 there. Seth taught others about God. Seth walked in such a way as other people saw God in him. They came to understand who God was because of the way that Seth walked. Seth walked in a powerful way with God. Remember that Cain was the great-great-great-grandson of Lamech? He was the fifth generation following his, his, his great-great-grandfather, Cain. Well, I want to look at Seth's genealogy right now. It, it grows just like Cain's did. But I want to move all the way down to the fifth great-great-great-grandson from Seth, comparing Lamech with Seth. Look at verse, or Genesis 5, verse 21. And this is beautiful. And remember, this is the great-great-great-grandson of Seth. Compared to Lamech, the great-great-great-grandson of Cain. It says in verse 21, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. That's the first time we see that Enoch walked with God. 300 years he walked with God, influencing people for the glory of God. And he had sons and daughters, and he influenced those because he was walking with God. So all the days, verse 23, 
All the days of Enoch were 365 years. Verse 24, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Amazing. Enoch walked with God. Why? Because he had generation after generation after generation before him that influenced him for God. He was encouraged by his father and by his grandfather. He was encouraged through those men all the way back to his great-great-great-grandfather. Seth walked with God. Enoch walked with God. Came down all those generations. The New Testament says this about Enoch. Hebrews 11, verse 5. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. It says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had his testimony that he pleased God. Even the New Testament points back and says, Hey, look at this lineage right here. Look at how Enoch turned out. He walked with God because of the lineage and because of the generational influence his great-great relatives had. God blessed Enoch through his family. Maybe you've had a family like that. I have. I can remember grandfather. I remember my father. Both those men walked with God. I never knew my great-great-grandfather, but my grandfather got it from someplace. But we have an incredible opportunity, gentlemen, to influence generations to come. We need to realize that we're fathers first and foremost, but also take the title of patriarch. I want to be a patriarch one day and have the influence that my, my walk with God influenced my children. I'm still working on it, still struggling, just like you do probably. But I desire to have that kind of influence. I want my lineage to be one that they look to God. I want you to know this morning, too, that Enoch was not the end of the legacy there for Seth. Remember who the great-great-grandson of Enoch was? It was Noah. The great-grandson of Enoch was Noah. Genesis 6, 8, don't need to turn there, but it says that Noah found favor with God. We know the story about Noah. God chose him and his family to survive the terrible flood. Why? Because God found favor with Noah. Where did Noah get that from? He got it through Enoch. He got it through Seth. All these generations before Noah pointed him to God. I'm here to tell you that's not easy. Both Enoch and Lamech were the seventh descendants from Adam. But because of their heritage, one walked with God in the light. That was Enoch. The other one walked in darkness. That was Lamech. We have an incredible opportunity today to empower our children to walk with God. We're going to talk about how to do that in just a moment. I want to share another well-known picture of the power of fathering. You may have heard this before. It's been around for quite a while, but they did a story after about 150 years after Jonathan Edwards passed away. He was a great pastor, a great preacher, a renowned preacher from the 1700s. And an academic professor did this study 150 years after he died of his descendants. Another study was done on a fellow by the name of Max Jukes. You say, who the heck is he? Well, they did a social study in a New York State prison, and they realized that they had, they were trying to figure out what's, what's the descendancy and what's, what's the essence of these men that spend time in jail. Where did they come from and how this all happened? They were trying to figure out how to, how to steer men in a new direction. And they found evidence in their prison as the New York State prison system studied these men that 42 different men were ancestors of Max Jukes that were in jail. Max Jukes had, had a descendancy of 42 different men 
They spent time in the New York state jails. I want you to think about this for just a second. Jonathan Edwards' legacy. I want you to hear who came from his legacy here. From Jonathan Edwards came one U.S. vice president, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, three judges, I'm sorry, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 13 college presidents, and 100 pastors came from the lineage and descendancy of Jonathan Edwards. From Max Jukes, seven murderers, 60 thieves, 190 prostitutes as best they can count, 150 other convicts that were in and out of the jail system, 440 lives that were wrecked by alcohol addiction as best they could count and recall. The power of our legacy. You know, we like to finish our sermons with the thought of, so what? So what does all this mean, Pastor? What does it mean to me? What does it mean to our family today? Well, I want you to know with absolute certainty, and based on Genesis 4 and 5 here, that God has called you and I to anchor our families for the next hundred years at least. He's called you and I to build a godly legacy by encouraging our children, by challenging our children to walk in the Lord, by showing our children God in our actions, in our mannerisms, in the way we walk today. You know, it's interesting, and I've shared these before, that uh, a number of church surveys out there say that we're losing the next generation. next generation is going to church, but they're leaving. I want you to know this morning with absolute certainty that doesn't have to be that way. And there's a number of children growing up in Christian homes, going to church. They continue that legacy and walk that legacy for the Lord. Our children do not need to leave their Christian walk when they reach the age of responsibility and the age of freedom. God has called us out to challenge our children to walk that way. Our children can defy all the statistics. I want you to know this this morning, though. And we've shared this before. But you know, we can, we can take our children to church. We can even put them in Christian schools. We can do all kinds of things. But I'm here to tell you, the guarantee on a child walking their life in the Lord comes from the father and the mother. It comes from what they get at home. They need to see that God is real. They need to realize that my father and my mother have a genuine relationship with God. Why? Because I see when they have hard times, they pray. I see them in God's word every day. I see them living for the Lord, and I see them serving the Lord. I see them walking with the Lord in their life. I see it personally. You know, you've probably had this experience. I know I have as dads. You know, as we have sons and sometimes daughters, they want to emulate their dad. They want to walk after the dad. Hey, dad, dad, what are you doing today? I'm going to go out and hold the yard. Can I go with you, dad? Absolutely. God, can I do this? We had a very incredible time here yesterday. We had, I think, about 16 or 17 men from our church out here working in the front yard. You might have noticed it when you came in, the beautiful new gardens there and the mulch and things. It looks fantastic. We had men here working there, and I was so thankful that we had a number of sons show up as well, be a part of that. We had some real young guys out there, a little fellow that goes to our school, Jackson, was out there. These guys were having a great time being with their fathers. Saw the fathers encouraging them and giving them a shovel or a hoe and letting them work alongside them there and encouraging them the whole way. Guys, I want you to know this, that boys become men by watching men. They become godly by watching their fathers. They become 
godly by standing close to godly men. We have an incredible opportunity, guys, to realize the power of fatherhood when we actually exercise it God's way. When we realize that, God, you've given me these incredible blessings of children, incredible blessings. I have a phenomenal responsibility here, God, to see them grow up. I'm sure you've been with me along this time. I pray for my kids every day. I've been doing it for years. I prayed when they were very small that they'd marry the right person. I'd seen so many damaged lives and horrible marriages. I just prayed that they'd marry the right person, that they'd have joy in their marriage. Every marriage has its difficulties, ups and downs. But I wanted my children to marry God's person in their life. I wanted them to see God in their mate. I wanted them to grow together. I wanted their mate to challenge them to be walking greater in the Lord and see God in a mighty, powerful way. We have an incredible guys, opportunity, guys, to anchor our families. We need to make sure that we're walking intentionally that way. Boys become men by watching men. The question this morning might be, how can we anchor our families? How do we actually do this? Well, the first thing I want to share with you this morning is to walk with God, just like we saw Enoch. Walk with God. I know Seth walked with God. Noah walked with God. You and I need to walk with God. Well, how do we know that's important? Listen to what the scripture says here. This is Psalms 112, verse 1 and 2. This might be worthy of writing down in your little notes here if you like. Refer back to it. Because God's very specific here. God says in Psalms 112, he says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. He's saying right here, if you fear God and you walk in his commandments and love his law, your children will be blessed for generations to come. It starts right there. Do I truly fear the Lord? Do I live my life in such a way as I don't want to disappoint him? Do I live my life in such a way as that he's ever-present in my life, that he's tangible in my life? The first thing I think about every day when I get up is God. The first person I talk to in the morning is God. The last person I talk to at night is God. Proverbs 27 says this. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. I believe these two scriptures are in your bulletin this morning. But we need to walk with God. Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. You and I need to walk with God. I know we live in a busy world, busy times, all kinds of demands on our life. Am I willing to walk with the Lord? Am I disciplined enough to take out that time in my life and make sure I'm walking with the Lord? I've heard so many good things about the Bible reading this year. I'm praying that you're staying after that, talking to God as you read his holy word and let him talk to you. Walk with God, number two, and number two, number two, number one is walk with God. Number two, spiritual formation takes spiritual intentionality. Spiritual formation takes spiritual intentionality. I'm here to tell you our children are going to catch a lot of things, but am I being intentional as I teach my children? I believe Seth was very intentional and taught his first child, Neosh. All the way through the generations. I believe that Enoch was intentional. You and I need to be intentional. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's older, he will not depart from it. God's given you and I an incredible opportunity to raise our children for his glory. I mentioned it a minute ago, but a lot of times we want to abdicate the authority to do that to our children. We count on Sunday school. We count on church. We count on 
school to teach our children. The number one person responsible for raising their children are the father and the mother. We need to take that responsibility seriously. We need to be intentional about raising our children. We need to be intentional about reading the Bible. Let me ask you this. How often do you pray with your child? I think once a day wouldn't be enough. I think we need to pray with our child all the time. They have difficulties at school. Pray with them about that. They have a test coming up. Pray with them about that. They're going for a hard uh, experience at school. Pray about that with them. They're not sure which way to go. Pray with them about it. Let me tell you this as well, though. I think one of the neatest things that our children see in our lives is us serving the Lord. As we serve the Lord together as mom and dad, as we go out and serve the Lord and our children go with you, our children need to see us witnessing what we have and sharing with people what we have inside us, inviting people to church, inviting them to come know Jesus Christ. Do our children see that? When your children meet new friends, are they curious about whether or not they're Christians? That comes from mom and dad. That comes from us wanting to know if our friends are Christian and making sure we share with them. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works. Let your light so shine before your children that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We have this Bible verse on our wall and a little plaque. It's the third epistle of John, verse 4. It says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my child walks in the truth. Apostle John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my child walks in the truth. I think that's a perfect thought for today as fathers, as mothers, building that genealogy, building that generation to come, making sure that my legacy lasts beyond my lifetime, through my children and their children and beyond and beyond. God says it right here, it's possible that we can plant the seed of Jesus Christ, that we can be used to encourage others. As we think today about our invitation, I want you to think about this. Pastor is number one on this list. What can I do in a greater way to encourage my children? My children are basically grown out of the home right now. But how can I continue to encourage them? How can I continue to challenge them? I've done it with some books. I've done it with challenging them to read their Bible. I've gotten them the Bibles that they might need. You know, there's all kinds of ways that we can encourage our children, even though they're grown and out of the home right now, have their own families, to encourage them, encourage our grandchildren. Do the things that God would have us to do to make sure that our children walk upright and they see God in their life in powerful ways to be able to pass it on to the next generation.